Chapter 16 of Life of St. Gerard Magella. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Aubrey Kinzer. Life of St. Gerard Magella by Rev. O. R. Vassal Phillips. Chapter 16 New Marvels. St. Gerard was only thirty years of age, yet he was already completely worn out. His whole life had been devoted to prayer, oftentimes continued for long hours far into the night, to the severest bodily austerities and to hard physical labor. Still, exhausted though he felt, he never relaxed his efforts, never for one instant did he dream of repose. His great ambition was to work on uncomplainingly even to the end, until the night should come when he could work no longer. Did charity or duty call on him to sacrifice himself, he was always found eager to answer to the call. As though to reward the generosity of his servant, Almighty God now loaded him with gifts and graces in an ever-increasing abundance. It was especially toward the close of his life that Gerard manifested his power of bilocation, that is to say, of being seen in two places at the same time. At Lacedonia there lived a family called Di Gregorio, with whom the saint was on terms of special intimacy. He had one day worked a striking miracle on their behalf, restoring to its unimpaired condition a large cask of wine, which had turned acid. Now it so happened that a servant in this house became dangerously ill. One evening, in the midst of her pain, she remembered this miracle, thought of St. Gerard, and ardently desired to see him. "'Oh, my dear brother Gerard,' she cried out, "'where are you? Why do you not come and deliver me from my sufferings?' The words were hardly out of her mouth before she heard a knock at the door. It was Gerard himself. He went straight up to her and said, You called me. I am here to be of service to you. Have you a lively faith in God? If so, be cured. He then made the sign of the cross upon the girl's forehead and left her without another word. Her pains had vanished. She got up quite well. Needless to say, her first anxiety was to thank her wonderful benefactor, but he was nowhere to be found. On inquiry, it transpired that he had been seen by no one in the place outside of the Di Gregorio household. Except for that supernatural visit to the sick room, he had not been at Lacedonia all the day. On another occasion, St. Gerard had a long conversation with a great friend of his, a very charitable man, called Theodore Cleffy. Before leaving the saint, Theodore promised to prepare a list of the most necessitous persons in Capisele and bring it to the convent. On his way home, he went into a cottage where he knew that there was a man who was very ill and in a state of extreme destitution. On being asked by his visitor of what he stood in the greatest need, the poor sufferer replied cheerfully, I need nothing, for Brother Gerard has been with me a short time ago. He has relieved all my wants. Theodore's surprise may be imagined. For the moment he was dumbfounded, 
Then he said bluntly that that was certainly untrue, as he had himself been with Brother Gerard in the convent, at the very time that he was supposed to be paying this visit of charity. But when the sick man persisted in his assertion, and in confirmation thereof produced the presence that the Holy Brother had just made him, there was no longer any room for reasonable doubt, at least in the mind of one who knew the gifts and sanctity of the servant of God. It was clearly a case of bilocation. Father Tenoya, than whom no one had better opportunities of knowing the truth, and whose evidence is beyond suspicion, tells us that St. Gerard made frequent use of this most marvelous endowment. Thus once, on not receiving some news that he expected from Moro, he said quietly, I must go there tomorrow. It was afterwards stated on unexceptionable authority that he was seen in Moro the next day, although, on the other hand, it is equally certain that he did not leave the convent at Capisele. The mysterious presence of the saint in more than one place at the same moment of time was sometimes both effected and apprehended, not visibly, but in a spiritual manner. He was, as we know, throughout his life often supernaturally apprised of events occurring at a distance, and towards the end, as he became more and more emancipated from the shackles of the flesh, the sphere of his soul's activity was so enlarged by Almighty God that he was able to make his advent felt among his friends who were, as regards the body, far away from him at the time. We may easily believe that the impression made upon the minds of those whom he thus visited was more vivid and more lasting than would have been the case had his presence been recognized merely according to the manner with which custom has rendered us all familiar. Thus Dr. Santarelli, the medical attendant of the community, and a great friend of St. Gerard, made the following statement. As I was one day making my usual round of visits to my patients, wherever I went I felt Brother Gerard by my side, as really as if I had seen him with my eyes. My duties finished, I went to the convent, and on meeting him I asked him, What were you about accompanying me in that fashion all the morning? Do you not know, he answered, that I have to go away tomorrow, so I wished to visit all my poor people with you before leaving. Santarelli's own family once experienced a somewhat similar marvel. St. Gerard was at their house, and on leaving he said that he would come back in the evening. The doctor smiled, as he knew that it was against the rules of the house for him to go out without necessity after the evening Angelus. I am not joking, said the brother. I will come back, not in the body, but in the spirit. As a matter of fact, that night Dr. Santarelli's sister, Monica, saw Gerard fixing his searching gaze upon her. She said that she was ready to declare, upon oath if necessary, that it was no mere imagination, but that she had really seen the Holy Brother. The Lies of the Saints show us that some of God's chosen servants have received from him the gift of rendering themselves invisible to the eyes of men. This extraordinary favor was not refused to St. Gerard. He was once making his monthly retreat when the Father Rector, chancing to require his services, sent for him to his room. 
Gerard was not there. They looked in the oratory. He was not there either. The whole house was searched from top to bottom. All was in vain. He was nowhere to be found. Meanwhile, Dr. Santarelli called. The rector hastened to tell him the news. Brother Gerard was lost. Santarelli laughingly suggested, Perhaps he is hidden under the bed to be quiet on his retreat day. Let us go and look. Taking a brother with him, the doctor went himself to Gerard's room, but all to no purpose. It does not matter, said Santarelli on his return. He knew St. Gerard well, and added, When the time for communion comes, you will see that he will leave his hiding place. So it happened. Gerard duly appeared in the church to receive Holy Communion. After his thanksgiving, the Father Rector asked him where he had been all the morning. In my room, was the answer. In your room, rejoined the Rector. We went there twice to look for you. Gerard said nothing, but only smiled. However, on being told to explain this seeming contradiction, he said with all simplicity, as I feared to be disturbed in my retreat, I begged of our Lord the grace to become invisible. This once I forgive you, said his rector, but see that you do not make such prayers in future. St. Gerard's room had no furniture excepting a small table and a bed. There was nothing that could have, naturally speaking, prevented him from being seen. We can only exclaim that God is wonderful in his saints, and that he will refuse nothing to their prayers. It sometimes happened that Gerard exercised his supernatural gifts in circumstances that will appear almost trivial if we fail to remember that, when there is question of doing a kind act, nothing is trivial in the sight of God. Thus, one day, meeting a lady named Candida Fangarelli, he asked her to give him a little white silk, out of which to make a veil for a ciborium. She said that of course she would be delighted, and on her return home did her best to find what was wanted. However, not succeeding, she made up her mind to cut it out of her wedding dress. Next day Gerard saw her again, and told her at once, before she alluded to the subject at all, that she was not to spoil her wedding dress for the sake of two little pieces of silk. He said that if she made a fresh search, he was sure that she would find what would serve his purpose. The lady was thunderstruck at seeing him thus disclose a secret intention which she had not made known to any human being. On her return home, acting on Gerard's advice, she looked again, found the silk, as he had told her would be the case, and brought it to him at the convent. One day after Holy Communion, the saint withdrew to make his thanksgiving before a large crucifix. He was at this time discharging the office of cook in the community, but wrapped in contemplation on the passion of our Lord, he allowed the hours to glide by until the bell rang for dinner without his having left the oratory where he was praying. They looked for him all over the house, when at last he was found, the brother said to him, Gerard, what have you been about? The bell has rung for dinner, and the kitchen is locked. Man of little faith, replied Gerard, what have the angels to do all the while? To the amazement of the whole house, 
The dinner that day was like one given on great feast days. Our Lord had called his servant to spend the morning in loving colloquy with himself. It was impossible that others should suffer from his obedience to the voice of God. His conduct, due to an extraordinary inspiration, was thus, even by miracle, stamped with the divine approval. Greater and greater waxed the saint's power over the hearts of men as the end drew near. One notable conversion in particular belongs to this period of his life. The Archbishop of Kanza had come to spend a few days with the Redemptorist Fathers, and had brought with him his confidential secretary, a Roman by birth, a man full of wit and merriment. But this exterior light-heartedness was only the cloak of interior misery. His conscience was in a deplorable state. Gerard had hardly seen him when, by divine light, he knew all. At once he determined to win this soul for God. Accordingly, he deliberately put himself in the way of the secretary. Whenever he met him, he used to chat with him, laughing at his jokes and encouraging his witticisms. One day, in Italian fashion, he embraced the poor man with affectionate warmth. This was the turning point. The little mark of friendship had won his heart. There was no longer any necessity to seek him out. He haunted Gerard like his shadow. At last the saint saw that the hour had come for action. Having brought his captive of love into the community oratory, he knelt down before him, and then, with tears in his eyes, made an appeal to his better feelings and higher nature. "'My dear friend,' he said, I cannot understand how you are able to live in enmity with God, and yet always be so cheerful. You cannot deny that you are a married man, and that your wife is living in Rome. How then is it that you venture to pretend to be unmarried? How can you bring yourself thus to play a poor woman false? The saint continued in this strain, until at last, utterly overcome, the unhappy wretch knelt down in his turn, acknowledged everything, and entreated St. Gerard to pray for him, and tell him what he should do to recover the friendship of God. Great was the charity with which Gerard now dwelt on the infinite mercies of our Lord, and his welcome for the repentant sinner. He advised the secretary to make his confession at once to Father Fiocchi, who happened to be at the house. His confession over, he went to the church to prepare for Holy Communion, when a new prodigy occurred. Gerard went up to him and asked him where he was going. To Holy Communion, was the reply, given with some eagerness. Wait, said Gerard, you forgot such and such a sin. Go to confession again, and then you will have nothing on your conscience when our Lord comes to visit you. Utterly amazed, the secretary went back to confess the sin which he had completely forgotten until thus miraculously reminded, and then, his soul refreshed by a second absolution, full of joy, he received the bread of life. This conversion was both sincere and lasting. No one could help observing the change that had come over the demeanor of the once jovial secretary until the archbishop himself asked him the cause. 
In the fervor of his repentance, Gerard's convert did not hesitate to acknowledge all and ended with the words of the Samaritan woman in the gospel, Come and see the man who has told me everything that I have done. Full of surprise, the archbishop sought Gerard out and had several long conversations with him. On his departure, he earnestly recommended himself to the Holy Brother's prayers. O oh, my Lord, replied the servant of God, I have need of all the divine mercy to save my own soul. I beg of your grace not to forget me at the altar. The archbishop never lost the impression made upon him during that stay at Capisele. On their return to the archiepiscopal residence, the change in the secretary was the common talk of the place. All his former gaiety seemed to have suddenly disappeared. One day, the superior of the seminary asked him whatever could have happened to him during his absence. Then he, too, was told the wonderful story. The poor secretary made no secret of the fact that he could never again be light-hearted as of old until he had made reparation to his injured wife. As soon as the necessary arrangements could be made, he left for Rome to rejoin the woman whom he had treated so badly, and who thus recovered both her happiness and her husband through the instrumentality of St. Gerard. Even in Rome, the story was spread far and wide, and at last a cardinal wrote to ask that the wonderful brother should be sent to the Eternal City. But when this letter reached Capisele, alas, Gerard was already dead. End of chapter 16